Good morning. And please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And when you find that, please stand with me and we're going to read God's Word. Let me say this before we read. There's an old saying among pastors that if there's mist in the pulpit, there will be fog in the pew. Meaning that if the preacher can't make it clear, uh, we're in trouble. And uh, it's it just a little uh, ironic to me today that um, my sermon title that I, that I chose was Seeing Clearly. And I have been crying out to God for clarity on this passage all week long. And can't say that I have full clarity at this point. Uh, so let, let's, let's read and then we're going to pray and ask God to give us clarity. Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And Lord God, we, we come to you today asking you to give us clear vision Asking you, Lord, to clear our perspective. Asking you, Lord, to make our eyes healthy so that our body would be full of light. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us today, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, isn't perspective so important in life? How we view things. How you see things drives how you react. For example, if you're angry at the world, uh, you're going to be critical. If you harbor resentment, you're going to lash out. If you nurse hard hard feelings towards people, you're going to say things you shouldn't say. If you are unwilling to forgive, you will become bitter. If you think that all people are dishonest, you will be very suspicious. On the other hand, if... Uh, You always see the glass half full, you're going to be optimistic. If you believe that God is sovereign, you will accept whatever he brings into your life. And if you realize that everything you have comes from God, you'll be thankful. And of course, if you're a true UCLA fan, any team that plays USC is your second favorite team. That just goes without saying, really, I mean... Anyway, call it what you will, your worldview, uh, the grid through which you see life, how you filter what comes your way, how you process information, how you respond to life is a direct result of how you understand it. And in the context of money and wealth and possessions, both gathering it and worrying about it, the simple truth is that the way you view and use money is an indicator of your spiritual health. The way that we view and use money is an indicator of our spiritual health. Now that seems to be what Jesus is getting at in these verses today. He is illustrating what he said in the previous three verses. In Matthew six nineteen through 21 about collecting treasures. How um, it is far better to have treasures in heaven because they, they have greater durability. They last. They don't, they don't, uh, 
They can't get stolen. They, they can't be eaten by moths or eaten away by rust. So he talks about the greater benefit of seeking treasures in heaven. And here he contrasts a blind person with a seeing person. And the resulting uh, light or, and darkness uh, in which they live. Now earlier on in this chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus told his followers to serve for his eyes only. Not for the eyes of people. Don't do things to be seen by people. Uh, now he wants us to set our goals on things that uh, are good, our, our eyes on goals that are good. Um, Jesus focuses on the importance of the eye. We use our eyes all the time. Right now, I might be feeling a little self-conscious because you are looking my way. Now, you might be looking at the cross, you might be looking at the screen, the piano, but your eyes are, are looking this way. Now, it goes both ways, though, because I am looking at you, Right? Now, the importance of the eye. Jesus is using a figure of speech here that helps us identify what it is. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp or the light of the body. Now, biblically speaking, like the heart, the eye is an important uh, member, and he is using the eye figuratively in a spiritual sense. So that, uh, spiritually speaking, the eye is your spiritual understanding, your spiritual perception. How you view things and understand things spiritually. Okay, that's, that's your eye. Um, it's an indicator, then, of, of spiritual health, uh, spiritual direction, spiritual progress that may or may not be being made. Um, it's a question of vision. It's a question of perspective, how you see things. We, we see this in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 19, verse 8, we read that God's word enlightens our eyes, gives us understanding. Uh, in, in Ephesians 1.18, Paul is praying uh, that we would have growth in spiritual knowledge, and that comes through the eyes of our, um, our eyes being enlightened. Uh, eyes are indicative of character in Proverbs. Uh, you've got the proud man, the envious man, the one with an evil eye. Now, a lot of times in Scripture, the, the heart and the eye are, are almost synonymous, almost the same uh, equivalency. Um, the idea is to set your heart on something was the same thing as put, setting your eyes upon something. A good example is Psalm 119. Go there with me. The longest psalm centered on the Word of God. In fact, uh, reading through the Bible right now, I'm reading in Psalm 119. I want you to look with me at, at verse uh, 10 first. Verse 10. And it says this. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. Then you, you look at verse uh, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Elsewhere it talks about the, um, the eye being fixed upon all of God's commands. So the idea is that with my whole heart I seek you, my eyes are fixed upon your commands. 
the heart and the eye being used synonymously. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the idea of setting your, your minds on the things above, not on the things on earth. The idea in Hebrews chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, literally looking to Jesus. So the eye is our spiritual perception, and it's very often synonymous with our heart. But what does the eye do? Spiritually speaking, what does the eye do? How does it work? Does the eye act or receive? An important uh, thing to figure out. Is it more like a lamp? Because Jesus says your eye is the lamp of the body. Or is it more like a lens? Does it receive or does it act? Is it like a flashlight or a window? Uh, Is it like a video camera capturing footage or video projectors showing a scene? Uh, Are we to view eyes as actors or receivers, basically? Um, Is it what comes through the eye that makes for light and darkness or what comes out through the eye that reflects that light and darkness? Now, in Jesus' day, many people believed that light was emitted through the eye, enabling a person to see, uh, rather than light being admitted uh, into the eye. Jesus is, is comparing the eye to a lamp, but in the next verse, in verse 23, he is speaking of a, of a diseased eye that's failing to let light in. So, I think what what we see here is there are elements of both. The eye first receives and then acts or inspires action. If the eye is our spiritual perception, first we receive truth and then we act upon it. Or we receive error and act upon it. Eyes receive. They receive light like a window. Um, But it's not that our, our eyes are literal windows into our body or else you'd see blood and guts and things like that. Um just by looking into someone's eyes. But you can understand what Jesus is saying. Almost everything in our body uh, depends on the ability to see. Everything our body does uh, much depends on on being able to to see. Uh, We we need to see in order to run and walk and jump and drive a car and paint a picture, uh, cook a meal, uh, pick up a penny off the ground, uh, shoot an arrow, whatever, you know, Whatever it is that you want to do, kick or throw a ball to someone. Um, now, blind, we, blind people can learn to adapt to their lack of eyesight and become proficient in many things. Um, they can hone their faculties to compensate for the lack of sight. But in general, vision is necessary to do these things and do them well. So the eye then lights up the body, what the body does through its hands and feet, being able to see enables us to do these things. Now, a physically blind person lives in very real darkness. They can't see, while a seeing person lives in light. Obvious point here. Uh, but think about it. One very small organ makes a huge difference, or two in most of our cases. I had a really good friend who only had one eye. He had a glass eye and he had a real eye. He only looked out of one eye. But in, in general, the, the eyes are so small, but they make a huge difference. Now, in, in physical life, it's, it's actual. Here, it's metaphorical. Uh, It's pretty easy to make the spiritual connection between sight and blindness and the corresponding light and darkness in which a person lives. So eyes receive, but they also act. Uh, Windows receive, they also reflect or show light. You can see through them both ways. So eyes act, they they reveal. Um, our, Our eyes, if you think about it, are windows to our soul. 
That's why you can tell just by looking in someone's eyes often how, they're, how they are. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they angry? Are they joyful? Are they winning? Are they losing? Are, are they, are they uh, happy? Are they sad? And that's, that's why you can even tell if a person sometimes is being honest with you by looking. What do you say to your kids? Look me in the eye. You know, why? Because you can see the connection, and if someone's not being honest, they're going to maybe look down, or they're going to try to divert, divert the eye. Uh, in, in many, in many uh, ancient writings, eyes were actually portrayed as acting, not receiving. The idea is that eyes don't just passively receive, they also determine direction. You lead with your eyes, kind of in, in sports. You, know, you look at the eyes and you look at the feet and you see where they're going. But you look at the eyes to see where they're looking. Um, it's, it's like this, you see something, your, your brain processes the info, so you decide to act, uh, you go in a certain direction, you do something as a result, you react, okay, are you with me? Now, th- there's an old writing, the Testament of Job, who says this, my eyes acting as lamps searched out. There are six ancient uses of the image of an eye, and they don't have light coming into a dark place inside of a person, but coming out from the eye. Uh, in Daniel, chapter 10, verse 6, the eyes of the heavenly being are like flaming torches in revelation 114 describes jesus and says that his eyes are like a flame of fire Uh, the lamps in zechariah 4 are the eyes of the lord roaming the earth so in these examples the eye is an expression of the soul not its intake Uh, check out the parallel passage to matthew chapter 6 it's in luke 11 luke 11 and verse 34 And there you're going to see that the imagery is one of acting, not reception, of light going out, not coming in. Luke 11 and and 30, start at verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So you see that example of light going out. Um, but basically, there's, a, there's a, a relationship here between the eye receiving and acting. And there are really uh, two options as it relates to spiritual sight. As Jesus mentions first in verse 22, uh, the good option, the good eye, and, and then in verse 23, the bad eye. Um, so two options, you're either, your eye is either going to be good or bad. Uh, verse 22 speaks of, of the good eye. If your eye is healthy or if your eye is good, um, the, the Greek word there is poneros, excuse me, haplos, poneros is evil, but haplos is, is good, clear, healthy. Um, what it indicates is clear spiritual vision. Being able to see clearly, spiritually speaking. Basically, a healthy way of seeing things. Okay? You might say to someone, well, you've got a really unhealthy way of viewing life. How come you're always this way? How come you see everything this way? You may say it to your spouse, or your kids, or your coworker, or a friend. Why is it that you always see things like this? Because it's the way they view the world. It's their worldview, and it's the grid by which they put everything, or you put everything. But Jesus says there's the good eye. It indicates clear spiritual vision, a healthy way of um, viewing things. It's translated simple, clear, healthy, sound. 
Um, it, it, but it also means something else. It also means generous. In, he, in, in Romans 12, it talks about giving with liberality. Same word, giving with generousness. It means generous. The idea of being open and clear. If your eye is generous, it allows two-way flow. You can see through. Nothing blocking. Uh, light can get in and out. Uh, it's open. It's limitless. And, and the idea is of not looking two different ways. You can't look two different ways at the same time and focus. Please don't tell me you can, okay? Uh, but light here can get in and out, and um, it really kind of talks about a simplicity of your mind's eye, of your heart's uh, focus, a singleness of purpose, looking right at something. Um, but there's also the bad eye. The bad eye indicates impaired or distorted vision. For example, um, I've kind of joked about this, but I've had reading glasses now for over a year, and I don't use them. They, they sit in the box, and uh, it's pride. It's kind of, they're kind of cool glasses. I, I mean, they even made them for me so I could have them up here and see this and see you. But every time I put them on, I'm like, uh, I get a little dizzy and stuff. And it's like, I just can't do it. You know, and uh, I, I've got to because things are getting blurry. You're not blurry, by the way. It's the stuff on the page. But you're, getting, you're really clear. But it's the, it's the up-close stuff. But the bad eye indicates bad or impaired or distorted vision, spiritually speaking. And it exposes an unhealthy way of viewing things. Uh, it's the, the Greek word poneros, it means evil or bad, toilsome or wicked. Uh, it also uh, could mean stingy. Stingy, the opposite of generous. A bad eye in Jesus' day could either mean a diseased one or one that was stingy, one that was closed or clouded, blocking the two-way flow. Light can't get in or out. Um, there's a limit, limiting nature to that. And what Jesus is saying is the good eye acts in a good way, shows that the soul is healthy. Uh, the, the bad eye acts in a bad way, shows the soul is unhealthy. And if your eye is generous, it'll let light in. If your eye is stingy, it won't allow the light in. And, and just like your eye uh, determines uh, the direction of your body, physically speaking, your perspective and ambition, your spiritual eyes, where you focus uh, is going to affect your entire life. So Jesus is concerned with what I'm going to call our spiritual hand-eye coordination. Right? How you view him, how you view the world, how you view other people, and your actions based upon that understanding. Uh, perspective develops over time. Uh, perspective can change. And it depends on what we focus on. It can change for the, for the good or bad. But our perspective drives our actions and our reactions in life. It's an issue of vision. If we have physical vision, we can see where we're going and what we're doing. And if we have physical vision, our life is on the right track and purposeful. It's like this. It's like, um, I keep trying to find examples this week about just in everyday life. And one I I thought of is when your, your windshield wipers on your car are worn out. Okay? And you haven't washed your car for a while. All right, I, some of you haven't. I haven't either. Um, and then it rains, okay? And you turn your wipers on, and it just makes a big mess. It's us all gunked up. It's, it's, uh, you can't see. Well, our vision, is what Jesus is saying, becomes clouded by materialism and other pursuits 
Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But we lose our sense of values. We can't see where we're going. And what the eye receives leads to action. So what we let our, into our life affects our vision. And if our hearts are weighed down with material concerns, they become blind to God. It's like a window that's dirty and won't let the light in. We, you probably have one like that in your house. Or you just close the blinds all the time and you don't look out. The way we look at money shows if we're spiritually healthy. If you want to wrap it up really tightly, you could say this. Discipleship includes economics. Discipleship includes economics. You want to follow Jesus? Learn economics. Spiritual economics. And how you deal with money. Jesus speaks a lot about money. It's kind of uh, interesting that we're here now in such a hard economic time. Many today have had their perspective changed due to the changing economy. The shifting fortunes have a way of rearranging priorities. Now others have had their, uh, their perspective strengthened because they didn't trust in their money to begin with. Others have lost what hope they had. You see, Jesus' words are so applicable here. Um, you know, if, if the I stands for our spiritual understanding and your body is your whole life, and your spiritual understanding drives your whole life, then if you center it all around gathering stuff here, your life's going to be messed up. And it's really tough. Uh, Dallas Willard says this. He says, the life organizes um, itself around our heart. I like that. Life organizes itself around our heart. And he says that Jesus compares our heart sight to our eyesight. The person, he says, who treasures what lies within the kingdom sees everything in its true worth and relationship. The person who treasures what is on earth, by contrast, sees everything from a perspective that distorts it and systematically misleads in practice. And then he closes by saying the relative importance of things is in particular misperceived. And he speaks of an addict who their whole life is centered now around what they are addicted to rather than what is good for them. See, our perspective on life matters. The way we view things is huge. And if your focus, if your eye is not clear on the matter of money your whole life will be out of whack, out of kilter, out of balance. And it will make a difference in time of plenty and want. It will make a difference in daily living, in times of hardship, as well as times of ease. But you may say, hey, I, you know, I got, I got sick relatives that I'm dealing with. Money's tight. My relationships are crashing. I don't enjoy my work. I have a multitude of issues to deal with. All the more reason to listen to Jesus' words here. Especially further on in chapter 6, which we're going to get to. The idea that he, Jesus says, you know, every day, um, 6.34, every day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just focus on today because every day has enough trouble of its own. 
Now, would you rather deal with it alone or with Jesus? Do you think a worldly perspective is going to help you rather than hinder you? Do you think it's going to help you more than trusting in Jesus? I've been talking to people who who are wavering in their faith, and they're like, I just don't know. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't work, but why is life going like this? Would you rather do it without Jesus or with him? Um, with Jesus, ask any believer, and they will tell you. Uh, with Jesus in your life, you have reason for hope, not despair. Reason to say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Reason to hold this worldview. He may bring me into a land flowing with milk and honey, or he may take me through the valley of the shadow of death, but either way, I'm going to praise him. I resolve to live in the light of his truth and walk in the awareness of his presence. Either way, he is with me. That's the perspective that makes a difference. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. My soccer teams both dealt with that yesterday. And my attitude was less than stellar. Showing my perspective. But either way, you praise him because He is getting you ready for more effective service in his kingdom here on earth. He is prepping you for what comes next. And you may feel somewhat lost in this world right now. You may may say, I don't know which way to turn. You or someone else have made a mess of things or circumstances are just bad and you're not soaring, you're sinking and you've lost your bearing. And you may feel if your spiritual vision is clouded to the point of not getting it back. That the corrosion that's built on your soul is too thick. That the fog is too dense. That the way back is too hard to see, let alone understand or look to the future. But I've got good news for you. I've got gospel news for you. Jesus is in the business of restoring sight. You have sight to the blind. Helping people regain vision because of his great love for you. Because Jesus loves you so much, God gives and and fixes and, and keeps spiritual understanding going. But we must cooperate. There's got to be a little cooperation, right? See, most come by their distorted vision honestly. But sometimes we play the victim and don't want to own up to it. And then we say things like, well, I just don't understand the Bible. Or God seems really distant. Or we're confused about the Christian life. Or God's will for our life. And we speak almost as if it's God's fault for not revealing himself more clearly to us. Because we are thinking in terms of being consumers. But the problem lies in our reception not God's transmission. <laughs> the problem's not in God's communication. It's in our receiving. Uh, he has spoken clearly in his word. But often we are content, even committed, to going elsewhere for our vision, for our wisdom, for our inspiration. We say, well, I would, never do, I would never say that. But how do we live? How often do our Bibles sit on our desks or on our car seat or 
Under some pile, we don't know where it is, we got to look for it on Sunday morning. See, we know our way around the treasures of this world better than we know our way around the Bible. No wonder our vision is clouded. We've allowed other things to get in the way. You see, following Jesus is going is to cause some foundational life change. Following Jesus causes some foundational life change. And if they are not allowed to happen because of other things that you insist on being a part of your life, the effects will be seen. Just deal with that. Deal with reality. Um, by the way, I, I mentioned that yesterday my, my attitude was less than stellar on the soccer field. In fact, there's a family here this morning that can tell you that. Um, that's life. I had, to write, I had to apologize to a referee. And another coach. But here's the deal. My worldview, which I don't always live, but I want to, is this. God is sovereign. God is in control. Ooh, I forgot that yesterday morning. Um, God is sovereign. God is in control. Jesus is all-sufficient. He is Lord of all. And that all people need him and are lost without him. So that maybe when I'm around people who are lost without him, I might want to think about my words or my actions. And that the gospel is for all of life. And it is to be lived out and shared with all. See, Jesus restores sight to the blind. Now, you don't have to go completely blind. You can just have your vision hazed, crazed. You can just get out of sorts. And the same day, lifestyle of repentance, turning back to God, God can bring it, you back in line with him, in alignment with him. It can happen in a moment. You may have come in here, into this very room, out of sorts, clouded vision. And you can walk out of the room seeing clearly spiritually. Why? Because Jesus is in the business of restoring sight. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20. If it is your desire to have greater spiritual perception, ask God and he will grant it. Ask God and he will grant it. Matthew 20. Verse 29. He and his disciples were coming out of the town of Jericho, and a great crowd was following. And there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they, they couldn't see, but they could hear. And they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out. They used whatever faculty they had to get in touch with Jesus. So they couldn't see. Well, they could hear and they could speak. And they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd told them to shut up. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more. Nothing was going to stop them. They were in, near the presence of a man who could restore their sight. 
Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. Jesus loved them. Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Do you see the progression? I was trying uh, the other day to explain these verses to my family. I figured, hey, if I can't get it past the six other people that live in my house, how can I stand up here and share it? And uh, I was, uh, we were reading Matthew 6, 22 and 23, and I was trying to explain what it meant. And Sophia, our six-year-old, she looks at me and she goes, I don't get it. I don't get it. And Angela and I looked at each other, we laughed, and I, and I tried to explain again. And I, I'm not sure I succeeded, but finally she goes, I get it now. I think she was saying, enough already, I get it now. <laughs> um, but this is a difficult passage to understand. It is puzzling. And you may also be wondering, as Sophia did, what does this mean? How does this apply to my life? And as simply as possible, uh, what you want, you're going to try and get. And sometimes it's not good for you. And that is why we need God and his wisdom, as well as other godly people that we trust in our lives to help us have clear spiritual perception and understanding. Think about it. When you don't just lash out at someone, but you call a good friend and say, help me have some perspective here. And you explain it to them and they say, don't say what you, know, what you want to say. Do this instead. You praise God. You're thankful. When you look in God's word and it says, don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only words that are good for edification according to the need of the moment, then you hold your tongue. When you don't, you don't. What you don't have, you don't need it now. You know that? What you don't have right this moment, you don't need right this moment to be alive and to please God and to do what he wants you to do. Um, That's the gist of Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 22 and 23. Sandwiched between talking of collecting treasures on earth and treasures in heaven and the choice between two masters. Jesus says what we value most is what we want. What we want most isn't always best for us. And that's why we need his wisdom. And we can't choose opposites. We've got to choose one or the other. And you can't look at two things at the same time. You've got to focus on God, not money and stuff. And it's interesting. I said it last week. But when you do that, the money and stuff falls into proper perspective. And you can utilize those to the greatest capacity. See, the part of you that knows right and wrong, the part of you that loves God and wants to please him, will either be helped or hindered by how you use money in a healthy way or are preoccupied with it. And if all you ever think about is how to get more for yourself, then you're in trouble. But if you're concerned with wanting to do something good for someone else, wanting to build the kingdom of God, you're in a better place. Are you fixated on finances or focused on God's provision? Are you generous or stingy with your stuff? 
Can you trust God in plenty and want? When do you trust him more? Are your eyes on a pile of stuff or are they fixed on treasures in heaven? Let's pray. Lord God, we know that the idea that you're getting through to us is simple. It is really one of childlike simplicity. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to come to you like a child, humble and and open and wanting you to restore our vision. And we thank you, Lord, that you do that. And we just look to you now, asking you to lead us and guide us.